everyone, it's episode 384 of This Is Whole Life, where sometimes there's jokes, sometimes there's food, sometimes there's not, sometimes there's Jeff, today there's not. You just never know what's going to happen. Some days we might think about Cleveland. What episode is this? 384. 384. But since this is our second take on this, does that make it 344B? or 384 and a half. Uh, 0.5. 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, that's how we've traditionally handled that is 0.5. There's some things that happened in the first round that are we just first five like, minutes. It's just like, just, just, let's just start over. Start yeah, over we, we had to start over because Ken was spewing heresy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, <laughs> well, I heard you were too, but I wasn't, I wasn't detecting it. So, you know, maybe it's, it's just one of those, one of those days where... Sometimes you just got to get yourself right before you come in and, and sit down and, and talk. Well, we're moving it. We're moving this one a little bit faster than we normally do. We're 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 meeting it. Uh, yeah, at, we're a little, little earlier than we normally do. We're a little so, off yeah. schedule, and that, that's probably what's doing it. And Jeff isn't here. It's always yeah. a little different when Jeff isn't here. Should we mention why we're doing this a little ahead of a schedule? Yeah, my son's turning eighteen. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and happy so birthday, I'm, Eric. yeah, so I'm just uh, gonna wish him a happy birthday, man. So yeah. Yep. All right. Hmm. This week was week four of the seven churches of Revelation. And Thyatira, I don't know why I had so much trouble with that last week. It seems pretty obvious this week. Yeah. Well, what, I don't... We're at the ha- halfway point. And so now we have a few questions to get to, none that came from the chat because we answered both of those. Okay. Also, I kind of felt like maybe the velvet sledgehammer came out for the first time in a little while. Oh, really? What made, what made you feel that way? It's a almost a good and a bad. It's almost so good that you get a little warm and fuzzy and go, yeah, I, you know, I, I, he has some good things to say about the church, right? And that gets us to feeling good. And then when he brings the other side where, you know, God's patient and it, it this reflects on his character, his patience, but also it's kind of on the, on the flip side and maybe a little bit of that velvet. Uh, he isn't simply going to look away forever, and that puts it back onto us where he's saying, like, look, I'm pointing out, you know, the things that I have against you as it's written out here. And, you know, we, we make those choices and we listen to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it, it, it brings back that to me, that revelation part that feels heavy. Maybe the part that you've grown up with that feels like, wow, it all comes down to this then, does it? And we had questions. One of the questions this week was like, well even though we didn't really cover it in the message, but that revelation and how they were not being able to participate in these, uh, in these guild meals and worshiping with the idols. And in the end time, someone said, well, you know, we've always been told that, you know, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you're not going to be able to buy and sell. You do have them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. If you don't, if you don't. Yeah. And so is that really going to be the case and kind of, you know, making that, that feel to here and that judgment just feels kind of heavy even though we understand the benevolence that we see there, and that's like a really happy moment, but I just felt like we lived in that moment for about 30 seconds before it was like, because <laughs> Revelation, everything, it's the last book in the Bible, talks about end times. Everything just seems so final. Like, you know, if we miss this part, oops. <laughs> we did a lot of what for coming up on the wrong end. I, I, that just seems so final. It's ultimate judgment. It's It just felt really heavy. Okay. At, the, at the end of that. So it kind of made me feel like we were going back into one of those, maybe it's a little PTSD from, <laughs> from you know, a ch- little Christian, a Christian PTSD from childhood. I don't know. You know, I, it's funny that you say that because you, you said, oh, there, you know, there weren't that many questions. I actually had two different people take me aside this week 
asking questions. Right. So I'm thinking that there may not be questions, but there are definitely questions. questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one it's of those. like the questions you're willing to ask out <laughs> right? loud and the ones you feel a little less comfortable at. Yeah, and I kind of felt that way through that, throughout the message, even though, I again, so much of it to me was positive. But just thinking on that other side, maybe that's just me, but I, I felt like it just brought it so back so quickly that I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I shouldn't be reveling in this good part. I should be focusing more on staying out of this bad part. I don't know. I think we should talk a little bit about idolatry. Okay. Because it, idolatry meant something really specific to the people in Thyatira. And the Christians have had about 2,000 years to expand the definition. And Adventists have had, oh my goodness, over 150 years to expand our definition of what idolatry is. And I think that... We've expanded it to the degree that, <laughs> Randy, you say PTSD. I grew up I grew up in a very legalistic situation. And my grandmother, I love her to pieces. She's not, she's not here anymore. But for her, there was a demon behind every single bush. Mm. And sometimes in most people she met, <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a demon. And there were so many different things that were counted as, you know, sin counted as worldly. I mean, and worldly, that is a huge, broad definition that can cover a whole lot of things, which can make pretty much everything idolatry. That's a big brush to paint with. I I remember when I was, I think I've told this story before, when I was, I think I was nine, I got a new dress for my birthday and I was so excited to wear this dress. I felt like I was floating on a cloud and I walked out, we were getting ready to go to church. I walked out and she said, now, don't be proud of yourself in that dress because pride is a sin. Oh, ow. and I started, I, and and it was so confusing to me because it felt like, does everything that makes me happy, is yeah. everything that makes me happy a sin? You know, and it, and I think that, I mean, even if we talk about music, you know, a few hundred years ago, people said, oh, we can't have wor- we can't have instruments. In, you know, in the sanctuary, because that's worldly. And then a little bit later, well, we can have an organ, you know, but then a people, bunch of people said that was worldly. Then later people brought in a piano. That was worldly. Then, you know, in the 70s, they brought in guitar. Well, that was worldly. And then, you know, later we bring in drums. Well, that's worldly. And it just, it's like every single thing that comes along that somebody, that doesn't fit to somebody's taste sometimes is identified as worldly. I've heard that's a 40-year statute of limitations. <laughs> so once you've entered it and you've taken the heat, you've got 40 years for them to really have a legit argument. Then after that, like that 40 becomes, years of wandering in the yeah, wilderness. Right. That, and then that okay. becomes the norm right right? and then that's the accepted and then we take the next one so we're constantly working off of some timetable and something that brings fear or or this pride like you said everything being a sin i I feel that i grew up that way too so melanie so you you said we've had a lot of of time to expand the definition of idolatry how would you as a biblical scholar (laughs) just to set you up there i love it i love it when you say how would how would you define idolatry Yeah, that is a really great question, which is why I thought we should bring it up and talk about it. (laughs) You didn't want to answer it? Let's talk about it. So how would you you start off the conversation? I think what I'm trying to do, Ken's laughing, he's enjoying this. What I'm trying to do is pedal backwards. Okay. Because we now have have such a broad idea. And the people that, that came and talked to me, and when one person was... 
really incredibly upset about a practice that they have in their life. And, and they're, they were thinking, well, wait a minute, there's, there's, there is some Eastern origin in this practice that I'm doing, but it brings me closer to God. Is that idolatry? Is that creeping compromise? Am I being led astray? And then someone else came up and said, well, you know, when we're standing up for what is what is right, like there are a lot of issues where you could stand up on either side and, yeah. you know, and put that flag in the go ground, all yeah. the way, go <laughs> all the way to death, you know, go, die on that hill. And so I think I just don't want to have us be in a situation where we're using a term that is broadly in, you know, broadly used enough that it either doesn't mean anything or it means everything. A little balance or self in, self-reflection, self-introspection, like really, does, I mean, th- that takes a little bit of self-honesty to really say, is this something that I do that I'm pretty sure I don't, e- I, either I'm not sure and I don't really want to investigate to find out because once I know, I, I've heard that a lot, once you know the truth, well, then you're stuck with it. But if you don't really dig that deep and go, I don't know. This seems like a teeter-totter and this is right in the middle. It never falls off. So it's probably okay. But if I really went to the Lord and said, God, how, how do you want me to deal with this in my life? What what should I be doing? Not necessarily what anyone else is doing or how they're defining it, but what I should be doing. And then feeling like, man, if I found out that I really, or God really didn't want me doing this, I'd be a little perturbed because this is one of my favorite things. And I think if you get to that point, you're already maybe in the know a little bit because like, if you're afraid to ask God for more input on it, then it probably is leaning maybe to the side that you shouldn't be. But I mean, yes and that's no. A slippery I mean, slope. I know that, that. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying no, no to your you. experience. I yeah. validate your experience. Um, I think what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to think about here are the people whose spiritual trauma is triggered by words like idolatry and things like standing up for what is right, especially because if you've been in a situation where you've been programmed to believe that everything is wrong, then when you go to God to ask if this is right or wrong, whose voice are you hearing? Are you hearing God's voice or are you hearing the voice of the people who programmed you to think that this is wrong or that is wrong or this is right or that is right? No, sometimes can, that's a difficult thing to disentangle yourself from. I've had conversations with many people that when they say, well, I yeah, can't believe you're still a Christian. I knew you in a different life and, and this is weird. And how did you come to this when you used to be? You could name off everything that you thought was not correct or was just a bunch of hooey. It was people making up their own minds about things. They weren't in, they weren't investigating it. They weren't actually thinking for themselves. They took somebody else's word for it as gospel, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why well, doesn't mean I'm right about everything, but I at least have studied for myself to know what if someone asks me, why do you believe in God? Why do you love Jesus? Why is your life better because of it? I have answers that I am not only comfortable with, but that I know to be true for me. And sometimes it's hard to get to that point because, again, you're stuck with what someone has always just told you is true. And then the first time you really see it for maybe not being true or pretty shaky theology that it's standing on, then it's also hard to not hold that person and like, why would they, why would they lead me astray or make that sound like it was so sure? And that's a that's a struggle. I so I hear what you're saying about having that internal struggle and whose voice are you going to hear? I, I've experienced that. That's a. It's not a fun place to be if you don't have anybody on the good side 
or to give you permission, like Ken's doing, saying, look, this is what Ken has studied. This is what Ken has come to his conclusions. And I feel pretty comfortable that Ken has come to good conclusions. I'm not saying that at all, because I trust Ken wanting to get things as right as he can for himself and for us if he, you know, when he's preaching. But at the end of the day, there's no satisfaction in believing what Ken believes unless I study for it and go, yeah, I think Ken might be right on this one or many things. Well, I think that idolatry is a big deal. It's one of the things that the Bible spends a fair amount of time on. It's the first commandment out of, you know, out of 10, that's the first one that comes up. And you can argue that basically all the others come back to that one in some form or fashion. It's also significant that First uh, John actually ends with John exhorting the believers to keep themselves from idols. We see it discussed quite a bit in the book of Revelation. And Re- Revelation is a book that it's, um, it's dealing in the present, but it's also dealing in the future. So idolatry isn't something that was just something that happened 2,000 years ago and really doesn't impact us today. Again, I think I said in a previous sermon, you know, we tend to have this habit of being like, well, you know, I mean, most of us have not been tempted lately to go to a temple and eat food sacrificed to, to idols. That That's not probably something that's been a huge temptation to you. Yeah, not recently. Unless no. it's maybe the buffet at, you know, wherever. <laughs> it, but I mean, you um, can, <laughs> point taken. You know, but I, I think that it's really worth thinking about. And I think that, I think we want to be careful about is we want to be sensitive to people, to how we share what we're discovering in the Bible uh, with others. At the same time, I don't particularly like the way that the Bible was shared in my youth. Um, and it was there was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, you know you better do this or you know there's there's going to be some and and the consequences seem to be the most focused on aspect of things versus the saving grace of Christ that that should be in my opinion you know what's lifted up high all that said i think it's important for us not to to run too far away from discomfort discomfort generally is a medium of growth it has been in the physical sense in my life, it's been that way in the emotional growth of my life. I think of a time that I was dealing with some bullying that was going on with one of my children, and and it really prompted me to feel very uncomfortable because some of the things that was happening to my child were things that I had done to people when I was around that age. And it really prompted me to think about who I was and who I am and my tendencies to take it beyond teasing into into hurtful places. And it was uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to look at myself and say, hey, I'm there's there's some aspects of my life where I'm not I'm not a very nice person or I haven't been a very nice person. And some places in Rochelle and I's marriage, where you know we've gone through some growth stages, where there's these moments where I look back and go, "Oh my word, I've not been a very good husband." I thought I was being a good husband at the time. I thought you were being completely unreasonable, but you know, with the benefit of a couple years and some maturity, I'm like, "Wow, that that was that was not very cool." Yeah, it was, yeah that wasn't yeah. that wasn't very that wasn't great. 
And so when it comes to our Christian life, one of the things I, I do as a pastor want to do is I want to make people feel in a healthy way uncomfortable at times. Mm. I don't want to shame. I don't want to guilt. I always worry about that because I come very much from that kind of a background. And so it's a natural thing for me to fall into, into to shaming and guilting. And I don't want to be that way. At the same time, I also want to be, I do want to be inspiring how can I go to the next level with Jesus? How can I be, how can I really deepen my love for Jesus? And, and love has actions to it. Um, and so, you know, like I said, in these sermons, they can, they can feel pretty uncomfortable. And there's times where we're thinking, well, am I doing the right thing? And I don't want people to shy away from those questions because we should be asking, is this the right thing to do? Is it the thing that's going to bring me the closest to Jesus? Is this the thing that's going to help me be the best neighbor that I can be? And am I choosing that because I love Jesus and I love my neighbor, or am I doing it because I'm afraid <laughs> of God smiting me for not doing what I ought to be doing? And I want to suggest to you that it really matters which one you think of. If you're if you're just trying to avoid, you know, hell or avoid God, and I just want to suggest that if if we're operating out of fear, I think we've missed who God is. I think that the the point of the request that God has is for our good and the good of those around us. So when we start thinking about what idolatry is, Idolatry tends to be when I think that there's something that will that will save me, that will that I put in the place of God. The 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 space that God is supposed to occupy, I put this thing in it. In front of it, yeah. And there's a lot of us that have idols that the people around us can see pretty plainly and that we're less able to see because it doesn't we we have blind spots in our lives. And so there's a, I think that the bottom line question I have is rather than saying this is an idol, this is an idol, this is an idol, I think the question I would say to you is talk to the people you love and say, are there things that you can see me putting in front of God? It's a worthwhile question to ask. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree with what they have to say, but it's worth hearing what somebody who can sometimes see your blind sides. And the other part is just reflecting. What are there things that I'm putting in, in God's place in my life? And if there are, am I asking God to help me figure out how to put him back where he belongs? I think it's important to to pay attention to who those voices are of the people that we love. Because sometimes the voices of the people that we love are the ones that programmed us to begin with. Um, <laughs> so I think I think it's important to find the right people to yeah. be the soundboard. And I, and I, I think that's what you were talking about, but I just wanted to throw that yeah, that's fair. clarification in there. Yeah, that's fair, but you know, have you ever gotten have you ever gotten good advice from a bad source? And and so what I would say is use your filter. I guess that's what I think. And and maybe it's like different people for different things too. Like you might ask one person a question that you wouldn't be asking another person, but I guess what I mean is, like, in other places where I have pastored, there are people who I knew did not like me, that I do not particularly respect what they think on much, 
but they've opened my eyes to areas of my life that I was like, okay, yeah, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say by that. They've been, you know, I had one guy (laughs) that, that was really frustrated me and he, um, he, he called me a smug and added, um, some, some helpful (laughs) words to it. Um, and this is one of my elders at that particular (laughs) church and, you know, the fact of the matter was he wasn't entirely right, but he wasn't entirely wrong when I went home and thought about it. I, was, I thought, man, you've, you're not saying this because you care about me, I don't think, and I don't think you're saying it because you're 100% right. But there's some aspects of what you said that I'd do well to think about in my pastoral ministry, the way that I'm coming across to you, the way that I'm saying things. So that's what I guess when I say, but yes, if there are, I think probably to Melanie's point where I think we're probably playing some semantic games with each other here, there are people that are destructive in our lives and getting their opinions on things can actually hurt us more. And we need to be careful of that too. I think it's more than a game of semantics. I think throughout the Bible, you've got Jesus saying different things to different people for different reasons. And so I think that for some people, they need to hear hey, it's time for you to grow, you know, endure a little discomfort because it's time for you to grow up, you know, stop with your milk. It's time for you to eat solid food. And then you have a group of people like ones I was researching recently who have been uh, so spiritually traumatized that they, they need to hear somebody say, you're okay. You are okay. God has you. You are all right. Go ahead and and do the back, you know, do the backstroke in a in a puddle of grace for a while because you're okay. So I think, I think both of these messages are important, and maybe it's a matter of which messages for which person. Sure, I can go for that. Sounds sounds reasonable. The other part that sounds reasonable, and this was like two weeks in a row. Last week it was the was it the two edged sword that yeah. that was was I I was right with that. And this week Jesus describes himself to be the Son of God. Of he's like a flame of his eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze. And you said you had a few more details on that for us in the podcast, but in that the, the in this use where uh, John uses Son of God and he uses it to con- you know to contrast himself against Apollo. And I thought to myself, again, that this was one of those pieces where just to know and to, that he's got the ability to deliver justice. And I don't know, maybe it's a, I'm not even that much into like the superhero genre, but it almost feels a little bit like, oh, that's your God? Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, I have I have a God too. And I, well, I am a God. And I, I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a comfort to know that sometimes... We, we you know, hear the Beatitudes and it's turn the other cheek and it's do that. But it's, sometimes it's fun to watch Jesus stand up and just say, I am the one. I am he. And I have the power to do all this. Almost like just test me. Like this is like this is me. And I, and I don't know. I really like that Jesus. You know, one of the things that I hope that people are picking up as we're going through this series is that. At the very beginning of each one of these messages, Jesus describes himself in a certain way, and every time he describes himself in a certain way, the description that he gives of himself is what that church needs. Needs, yeah. That that whatever it is that you need, Jesus has. And it's not that simply that he's like saying, you need this too. It's like, no, I have what you need for you. And in this particular case, 
they had a leader that was spreading things that weren't true. And Jesus has eyes that burn like fire. And in that time, that metaphor was somebody who could see the inner insides of you. In fact, there's in, uh, in this particular case, um, it says in verse 23, it says, I am a he who searches the minds and hearts. The literal translation of the, it's, I am the one who searches the, the kidneys and hearts. Mm. Um, because one of the things to kind of realize in, in their time, emotions were actually believed to be in the kidneys. And the person's actual knowledge was in their heart. So what? So it's easy for us. And this is, by the way, why um, while I appreciate people saying you've just got to take a literal reading of the Bible, it's helpful to know that when some, when the Bible says that when it uses the literal word for heart, it would be more like what we are talking about when we say mind. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so if you're if you're interpreting because we today would say, oh, you go with your heart. We're saying go with your emotions. We're not saying go with go with your logic. But in that time, in that place, that is exactly what they would have said. Go with your heart. They would have been saying, "Go with your logic. Do do the logical thing." And if they were wanting to say, "Go with your emotions," I say, "Well, you just got to go with your with your kidneys." <laughs> your kidneys. Yeah. That's why when when Jesus shows up at Lazarus's tomb and he sees you know Mary and Martha and how devastated they are, and actually the word that you know it's usually translated, he had compassion on them, yeah. but what it actually means is he felt a twist in his gut. Wow. His kidneys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Wow. That's cool. This is why having a little, having some knowledge of what the Bible says, because when you read it, if you want to go ahead and read it literally, like today, we would say when it says, you know, if the Bible is saying it's in their heart, it's talking about it's talking about that knowledge side of things, about the logic side of things, and so Jesus, with those burning eyes, is able to read the kidneys and the heart of the person. He's able to understand what's what's logical, what's happening in their mind, and what's happening in their emotions. That you know, the kidneys being in this particular case. And so, what this church really needs is that they've got a leader that's putting out bad information, and it can be really confusing when there's a leader putting out bad information. Because even in the world that we live in that's that's anti-authoritarian, there is a part of us that always really wants to be like, well, well but but I mean, they didn't get to be a leader for no reason, right? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're there for a reason. And the interesting thing for me when I was studying this, and, and Melanie kind of pushed me to study a little further, was the kind of the compare and contrast between this week and last week, Pergamum and Thyatira. Both of them are talking about sexual immorality. Both of them are talking about idolatry. So why do you have two different churches? Why didn't Jesus just do six churches? It's really the same issue going on here, right? I mean, you're dealing with idolatry. You're you're talking about common meals. You're talking about going to temples. I mean, it, aren't we talking about the same thing? And as I studied out, the conclusion that I came to is that this church is being talked about is the church in Pergamum. Well, let me start there. The church in Pergamum was dealing with bad information coming in from the outside. The church in Thyatira was dealing with bad information that was on the inside. And so how do you how do you deal with both of those situations? And the answer is in what Jesus has to offer and who Jesus appears to be in both of those situations. In the case of Thyatira, Jesus shows up with eyes that can see the truth. And so if Jesus can see the truth, he promises to give himself to you so that you can know the truth too so that you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. So Jesus says, even when there's bad leadership, guess what? You can look to me and you can count on me knowing the truth. 
and and being able to read, I can read Jezebel's motives. It can be really hard. You you look at different leaders in this world, whether it's political or whether it's religious or whatever, and there's a part of you that said, well, what are their motives? I mean, are they a good person or are they not a good person? Is this teaching right or is that teaching not right? Is this idea a good idea or is it a bad idea? And it can feel really confusing, but Jesus offers to, to Thyatira and to us, the whole life church, his eyes that can see the truth and that can know the truth. And then what becomes also significant is that he has these, these burnished bronze legs by the way, the, the, these two descriptors are from Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel. They're also in the first chapter of Revelation. And and what becomes important about this is, I think I mentioned at least one of, I think it was second service, I don't know if I mentioned it in first service, but this Thyatira was renowned for creating a special kinds of, of bronze. Yeah. Its bronze makers made a very, very special kinds of bronze that you could only get from Thyatira, and it was really prized and important. And so... This bronze was able to crush. It was able to crush things. And so Jesus shows up as one who can read motives, but can also judge those motives and deal with it. In other words, that those, those bronze legs were able to crush what needs to be crushed. And what I think has becomes very significant is that he doesn't, he doesn't say, you crush, and he said, I'm able to do that. I can crush out what I need to crush out. I can go ahead and take care of this. And it becomes pretty obvious in the rest of the message where Jesus says, I will, I will deal with Jezebel. I will deal with her children. The rest of you stay true to what you know to be true, the truth that I'm revealing to you through those eyes that blaze. And so I think that that's a, that's a really worthwhile thing for us to think about, that Jesus, we often... Um, I know in early in my ministry, I was for sure really quick to go ahead and nip things in the bud and deal with things. And and I think there is a time and a place for that sort of thing as well, but I've also really discovered that God is pretty capable of handling certain things as well. So I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place to do things, but I have discovered for myself that a lot of times when I put it to prayer, when I give it to God, God is able to do things and sometimes God calls me to do things, you know, on yeah. his behalf. And he's like, okay, this is, it becomes very obvious. You need to say this, or you need to take that action, or you need to do this. But I think that sometimes, as we're going to discover in um, the Church of Laodicea, to a certain a degree, the, the Church of Sardis, there's sometimes this idea that I, I, can, I can figure it out on my own. I can do it. I, spiritually, I'll take care of this, this spiritual problem. I'll take care of that spiritual problem. I'll be the bronze legs that crush people. And, and the problem is I'm going to talk about in some of these future sermons is that it goes back to what Jesus, when he shared uh, his parable of, of the wheat and the tares, is that a lot of times when Ken starts weeding, he pulls out a lot of important things with the bad. And um, I've, I've seen um, a lot of collateral damage within the Seventh-day Adventist church when people have dealt with this problem, and in the, in doing so, they've really wounded not just the person that was creating a problem, but they've wounded people around them. I can't tell you how many kids I've talked to that are in my age range that uh, just are not very interested in church because of the way one of their parents was treated when they went through a divorce. And, and the kid's like, well, if that's, if that's the way the church is going to treat my mom or my dad was they've gone through this divorce, I'm not particularly interested in being a part of of that. It was mean, it was nasty. And so I think that we we really have to give a lot of thought, not simply to how we're dealing with the problem, but how the way we deal with it is going to impact the community around us. I think we have to be really careful 
when it comes to how we handle God's creations, God's people, and the way that we treat them and the way that we go about dealing with things. And I just think that sometimes there's a really... I think that the default for Christianity is this kind of heavy-handed, authoritarian approach of, this is the right way, do it, and if not, be crushed, instead of allowing the one who was crushed on our behalf, according to Isaiah, to be the one to, to deal with any crushing that does need to take place. And so, anyway, so I, I love that picture of Jesus. This is the, this is the picture of Jesus that Thyatira needed, somebody who's capable of dealing with what's wrong, the person who knows what the truth is, and and can deal with it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I really, I hope that everybody else, like I said, I, I hope that we're getting less preoccupied with what, what's wrong with us in idolatry and more preoccupied with how amazing Jesus is and how amazing Jesus is at being mm-hmm. capable of dealing with what needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Well, maybe in in that opposite of that heavy-handed Jezebel, it's bad leadership. It's well, yeah, I mean it's it's another god, but I mean we know who the real god is. I mean, she's lying through her teeth to say all of these things honestly, but she's telling people, well, yeah, but God's not going to be that upset. He knows why we're doing it. We need to be involved in commerce. We need to be accepted. We needed to, you know, maybe not be the rabble rousers and make trouble. And it's fine because we know who the God is and that's who we're worshiping. And and just because you go to the the guild meal and you you participate, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, so there's a slippery slope where we can convince ourselves that sure, sure, God probably doesn't have I mean, he doesn't like it, but he also knows the situation I'm in. So yeah. He'll, he'll be fine with it. We don't have to do anything drastic. We don't have to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. I just, you know, for me in my life, I am convinced that, you know, the theme for this year, follow me, is just a really huge part of my spiritual life. And it's this strong belief that I have that the the main question for me in life is, am I following what I think is best, or am I following what I believe Jesus is telling me is best? And I know that sometimes that can be a little confusing, but the question I really want to ask myself for me is, am I doing things the way that I believe God wants me to be doing them, or am I saying, no, that's too hard, I'm not going to be able to eat, my life may be in danger— you know, all the other, you know, I might not have as much fun as I as I think that I could be having. Or do I really believe that God is okay with me doing this? And that not just okay, but that, that God wants me to be doing this, that this is something that, that's God-honoring that God wants me to do. And I say that, and I also say that it's very difficult because we live in a very imperfect world. And so for me, it's there's an aspirational aspect of this as much as there is the, the actual doing it part of it. There's the part that is like, this is who I want to be. Mm, yeah. This is what I want to do. And I recognize I'm, I do fall short, but I'm constantly giving God permission to change my heart and help me not fall short. How does that work then for Whole Life Church as we're talking about you know bad leadership and we're talking about idols and and the god's power to do all that work for us and there's an obvious danger 
in this because God is saying, he's telling them the good parts are their deeds, their love, their faith, service, perseverance and everything. And that you're growing, your deeds are better than they were before. And so pretty much in every view you can take, they're, they're thinking probably, hmm, probably doing pretty good here. If that's the, if that's our letter that we're getting and who doesn't want to be getting that affirmation that the things that you're doing and that you're growing and that you're headed in the right direction at whole life. I feel like we're a church that kind of fits that description, at least the first part that, yeah, I think overall the love and the deeds and the service and perseverance. And I look around on staff and see great, really great people that I trust and that I find to be genuine and that love Jesus and are really saying more so than looking at maybe our deeds saying, I already know Jesus. How can I know him better? How can I be better? How can I, how can my life be something that others can see that growth and, you know, those, those good things, even though I know there's pieces that need to do better. How do we, from your perspective, do we take that on as a staff, as a, a church community and bringing other people into the community? How do we, how do we hold ourselves to that level and not worry that maybe Jesus is going, well, guys, uh, <laughs> here's what do you, what do you think would be the, what would, do you think would be our letter? And maybe what would be the part that, that he says, Hey guys, this is maybe something you could work on. I've been thinking of, I mean, I started thinking about it last week. I did, we were way long last week, so I didn't bring it up cause I didn't want to open that can of worms, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that Thyatira is, letter would be the one that I would say that is the most aimed at whole life, although, no. I mean, I'm sure there might be some people who disagree with me. I don't know. Um, I would like to think I'm not a Jezebel and that none of our, st- our staff <laughs> no, are, no. Um, but uh, but at the same time, I think that there's the, the message to whole life. I think there's the message to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and there's the message to the, the Christian, the world Christian church as a whole. And I think that maybe the messages could be different from whole life than they might be for the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, than they might be for where Christianity is in general across the world. And so I don't think there are less idols today than there were when Revelation was written. Uh, I think that idolatry is just as much of an issue today as it was then. And I do think there are those that are encouraging compromise, and I think there are also those that are on the other side that are are mean. And so the question I think for us today, as we look at our church and how do we how do we go about doing things? Well, one of the things I try to do by going about it is keep pointing you back to Jesus and saying, what do you hear Jesus saying to do in your life? This is what Jesus looks like. This is this is what love looks like as, as Jesus is love. This is what it looks like, and this is how we should be behaving. And so for me, it's just a constant trying to redirect people's eyes, not towards the idols, because I think that, you know, there's an old pastoral analogy that's used a lot is that, you know, when they train uh, secret service agents on how to spot counterfeit money, they don't train them to look at all the different kinds of counterfeit. They actually train them on 
looking at what a real bill what the looks real like. Deal, yeah. And they memorize what a real bill looks like. And if you know what the real bill looks like, then you know what a counterfeit is. You don't have to memorize the hundreds of different kinds of counterfeits, thousands, millions of kinds of counterfeit that are out there. And so for me, I think one of the ways that at Whole Life that we're going about trying to help people on their journey with Jesus to take that next step towards Jesus is not to train them about all the counterfeits. And I see that happening a lot in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it really bothers me. It really bothers me how many time spend so how many people within our denomination spend a lot of talk, time talking about what they don't like and about what's wrong, and, what, and, and there, there's just a lot of, well, watch out for this and watch out for that. And, and, and some of it maybe genuinely need to watch out for. And some of it, you know what, it's it's the boogeyman underneath the the bed that really is just not there at all. I hate that guy. And 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 it and so for me, one of the things I really want us at Whole Life and one of the things I strive in leadership here at Whole Life to do is just to say, this is what the real thing is over here. This is what Jesus is about. This is what Jesus looks like. And do we spend a lot of time talking about? Yeah, we do, because it's the original. It's the real deal. It's what's real. I personally raised my kids. Uh, they weren't watching movies till they were in their teens, except for a very limited amount. And so we, my wife and I, we, we probably tend to be in that realm with our family. We tended to be very conservative with the way that we went about doing things with our kids. There's one way of doing it. And what I found hilarious was, or sad, I know maybe it wasn't hilarious, it made me want to cry, was that there are Christian groups that rail against this movie and that movie. And the way they do it is by showing you clips of those movies and telling you why it's bad. And my kids had never watched those movies until they were exposed to them that way. And I just, it, it just, for me, it, you know, I wanted my kids, and I think that my kids have a good grounding. This is what truth looks like. This is what Jesus looks like. You can figure out what's not right and what's not wrong based off of that. I don't have to tell you why this is bad and that's bad. You should be able to figure that out really well from the grounding that I've given you in developing a relationship with God and God's Word. Anyway. No, I, I think that's valid, and I, and I like it because— too often, the things that we talked about early on in the episode about things and people that might not be safe because they're already convinced of something that, you know, later on you can find out is is very shaky or it's it's on built on assumptions or it's built on uh, things that you can are provably wrong, and uh, knowing what Jesus and always putting Jesus first when that's your go to, that's what you know. It makes it so much easier. Yeah, let me use a different one, and and you can edit this out if <laughs> if it's, it goes to a place that's personally you don't want to be there. But I think we've talked about on the show that, that alcoholism was something that maybe you've struggled with a little bit in your yeah. life. Is that yeah. is that okay to oh yeah absolutely put out there? So what was going to help you when it came? Is it what is it was it going to be a Christian that came and talked to you about how you're damaging your body and how alcohol is terrible and how you're doing all these bad things? Blah blah blah. Or was it saying, Randy, let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me share with you how much Jesus loves you, how much he cares about you, and sharing the gospel with somebody versus all the evils of alcohol. I mean, honestly, it was less about words than it was about, hmm. about deeds. And it was really, I mean, 
there's plenty of people that you could talk to from my past that grew up with me, uh, knew me during that time, and they'll undoubtedly tell you that Heather saved my life. There's not a question in my mind. I think if you asked my mother, who would ma- it would make her uncomfortable for you to ask that question. So if mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> but my mom would say the same thing, that she prayed. And she, I, I think I've unfortunately, or fortunately for me, have taken so many of my mother's prayers that could have gone other way, <laughs> gone to other things at times. But it was because I saw, truly I saw Jesus in Heather. Mm. Being that I was not much of a church person, I did do I did run AV once a month before I was kicked out of church. <laughs> it always made me wonder, like, what is a single person in their 20s doing at church Every week, come in, sit down with your Bible, listen to the sermon, you're following along, you're actually interested in what's being preached. And it, it just, it stuck with me because there was a lot of years between the, there was quite a few years between the first time I met Heather and before we actually got together. And it, she was the one person for whatever reason, and because she was very different in my church, she was just she was an anomaly as far as as far as I'm concerned, she wasn't an anomaly because not only was she actually believing everything that she knew to be true and studied because she studied for herself and her opinions on things were very different after I got to know her than what I'd been raised with. And it showed because also she was not afraid to speak of those, number one. And then second, she just loved people. She was kind to everyone. She was very kind to me in at a time when I just I was a, a emotionally uh, physically uh, I was a wreck I was a complete wreck and when someone just comes up to you and is like man it's good to see you genuinely like how are you and you get a hug that's just like a real healing hug and your body knows what it hasn't gotten and your soul knows what it hasn't gotten and your heart knows what it hasn't been getting and that was all true. And so that was just somebody who, and she might say, you know, what? I this was just who I was. I was just going to church. Okay. But you were doing it in a way that made it, because there's no other answer. There was no way I was stopping on my own. There was, it just wasn't going to happen. And you're, you're absolutely right. And she's always been someone who is so grounded in Jesus that whether you agree or disagree on what all of her beliefs are, she knows and she's comfortable that this is who God made her to be and this is who she should be in as a, as a Christian and as a believer and, and how she treats others through her walk with Jesus. It's a, it's a pretty... It's a pretty cool thing, and I still I still enjoy that uh, part of her very much. So let's just circle all the way back around to the beginning. Basically, Jesus has what we need. He has what the church yep. needs, and and that's really where we need to be headed. We need to be looking to Jesus, who does know the truth and who's able to see the truth, to read motives, and we need to go to Him uh, for the things that we need, and and so. I love how whole life operates, and I love that this is a safe place for all those who are looking to know Jesus better. And it's uh, so in the sense that it's my continued dream that whole life continues in that way to be a place for all who are 
who are weary and tired and looking for the rest that Jesus can give, that whole life be that place for them. Melanie, last words? Are you kidding me? How am I supposed to follow that? I don't know. You've been, <laughs> I just, you know, the, I want to make sure that in case we missed anything that we have your stamp. Usually it's Jeff and Jeff's not here. <laughs> Jeff is really good about just bringing in that last piece and tying yeah. it up in a nice bow. And he's oh, not man, here this week. I, and I can't be Jeff. Well, so here we are. <laughs> so we're just going to end in this, in this uh, podcast, well, just sort of dangling off the edge. No, there. no, we're not, we're not going to do that because there is, there's a couple things we, you know, continue on people continue on, pray, meditate, over episode 400 location and, and style and place. And Bernie, uh, we talked a little bit last week and we didn't come up with the answers, so we need to meet again. And then, you know, there's a bunch of cool stuff coming up like in like just a couple weeks. We have yeah. the, we have connected at the Four Roots campus that's going to be happening. Uh, October 28th, uh, that's 28th. coming up. And that's uh, just, just if you're listening, October 28th, sign up to go help out with, uh, with the project over at Four Roots um, because the church will be closed. And you're saying, well, that, that's the uh, Sabbath that we're preaching about Laodicea. That's right. The, the sermon will be online that week, and we're going to encourage you to go out and be of service. That's a part of who we are at Whole Life. And um, and so we're taking that Sabbath to live and uh, be uh, Jesus' hands and feet in our community. We're going to introduce you, if you're not familiar with Four Roots, you're going to get to know another great organization that's worthy of, um, it may be worthy of your time. Um, there's one of the th- goals that we have of these um of these Sabbaths where we is to introduce you to organizations that may be places that you may be interested in volunteering beyond that particular Sabbath. So this year we're working with them. Last year we worked with uh, uh, other groups. So um, October 28th, if you show up here at Whole Life, there will be signs on the door saying drive down and we'll have the address that'll tell you where to drive down to. And you can help out and just be a part of of the uh, events that are happening down at the Four Roots campus in the Packing District of Orlando. Yeah, but you probably will want to tune in. Is it? Are we putting it out Friday night? You better listen to yeah. the sermon because that is yeah, the, the final, only place. The, it's the only place you'll get that last uh, that last secret word. That last secret <laughs> and, word. And for you online viewers only, the playing field has been leveled. <laughs> Everyone has to watch online this week if they want the secret word. Yeah, yeah and so not this week, October twenty eighth. Oh, well, I mean, you can watch this week too, but October twenty eighth is the one that will only be online. But the rest of us will join you in that online only yeah. environment. And hey, take that Sabbath morning. Maybe you could do find a little fun project for your family to do and do yeah, your definitely. own. Yeah, that, connected. That would be yeah. something I'd really encourage you. Um, if you're part of the whole life family and you don't live in the Orlando area. Find a project, find a way to make this world a better place for Jesus on, on Sabbath, October 28th. And Just, tell us about and, it. Yeah, send yeah, us Yeah, we want to know what you're up to. Send us a picture. Yeah. I think one of the things that we'll probably do is uh, the, the uh, first Sabbath in November, we'll probably be showing pictures from from, a, from that, event. from uh, you know, the uh, Connected event. And so if you're, if you're doing something somewhere else, send us a picture and show yeah. us, you know, it's not bragging. It's just saying, hey, I'm part of the family. This is what I did. Yep. Yeah. And if you need ideas, send a, we'll come up with some, we can help you come up with some oh, podcasts yeah. at wholelife.church. There's a, there are a million and one great organizations in your community that you could help out with, whether mm-hmm. it's a food bank, whether it's clean up trash off the side of uh, your ro- the road in your neighborhood or whether, you know, whatever it is, 
there's a lot of different great things that you could do to make your your community a little bit better for Jesus sake. You can even have a little prayer vigil at your house for some someone, yeah. something, some event, whatever. Yeah. You know, there's lots of cool things. You don't have to go far. It doesn't have to cost yep. money. And coming up, everyone's favorite in about a month, give or take a little bit. It's what, November 11th is Barn Party? Is it the 11th or the 14th? I probably have those dates oh, wrong. Well, no, the 14th right. is, is that, wrong. Yeah. That's just, 14th is a Tuesday because that's a turkey thing. I think it is the 11th. I think it is the 11th. Yeah, it's pretty but, um, exciting. But, Barn party. But Sometime in November, we're doing this really cool thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> where you need to go. So if you want to find out more about Connected and get hooked up, you can get you can sign up to volunteer. They've got a, a, a fun run for the kids. They need help with people putting that on, passing out waters, all that kind of cool stuff. There's also going to be like medical, like taking blood pressure, doing I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different things. So if you just go on to the website, right? Yeah, I was just going to tell whole life dot church slash events. Those are right there. And I've had a couple of questions about that. So we'll clear that up, too, for those that of you that are starting to go there. We started to put events there, and right now there is there's a there's only three things that you'll see up there. If you went there right now, there's only three things. There are a ton of things we're planning into 2024, 2025. This is a new process that we're just launching into, and so uh, within the next two weeks, you'll see a ton of things that start coming because I've had ministry leaders going, "Oh, I want this on there. I want this on there." We're starting to get the flow of that, so that's going to be your new stop for everything that's happening. There's already something up there for Barn Party and Connected. We'll take you right. To to where you need to go to do what you need to do, save those dates and get connected. And then there's going to be really stay tuned because we're announcing two other pretty big things coming up before the end of the year that I'm working on campaigns with right now. And there's some really cool stuff that's going to be happening. Uh, one you know about, you've heard about before, but there's going to be another one that I'm guessing most of you haven't heard about. And this guy's pretty excited about it. So we had a meeting with the conference this week, and they're on board with helping us, and we're pretty excited. So keep watching that. Wholelife.church slash events. Put a little favorite in your if you're one if you're like a web browser person, just put a (laughs) put a favorite there, and then you can go back. And it's on the top of the homepage on the upper left. The link will get you there every time. Events. All right. I think we've done our duty. Don't show up here on the 28th because there won't be anybody home. Watch online, do something cool for somebody else. And uh, we'll look forward to having Jeff back and hopefully all of us back next week. And, and next week, it's which church? Sardis. Sardis. Really excited about this. This is Sardines? A... <laughs> no? No. No? no okay. But... I just, that was a total shot. And this like a... That was a great guess, though. I shot that was from a the great hip guess. on that one. No, no sardines. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to telling the story of Croesus. I'm really hungry. That's probably why. I don't know that I like sardines, but Croesus, that sounds like a, is that a, a dish? Is that food? I, I think this is because we did podcast before lunch this week. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> I didn't even get a, I didn't even get a snack. It's not food. What are you talking? Oh, <laughs> Sardines are creases, isn't creases? Isn't okay. Creases sounds like some kind of a arepa or you know it's a crease. It's folded. I don't know. Creases like a crepe. Yeah, there you go. It has nothing Ooh. to do with ironing your dockers. So I don't know. We'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's worth it. Come back next week with your with your dockers and with an appetite. Who knows? Might be something to eat. I can't. Can you trust Ken to say, well, it's not nothing to eat? How do you know? Till you tune in. Because Ken might just be pulling your chain. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for joining in and uh, have a great week. <laughs> do your pants have creases? <laughs> 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 <laughs>